Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's another beautiful Thursday and welcome back to Real Estate Investing Hot Trends and I'm Arthur and today we bring you another round of wonderful data to be able to, you know, to be able to be um, helping you in your real estate investing decisions. So we're just going to give everybody a minute to settle down, relax and probably get your early dinner and have a cup of coffee, though it's in the afternoon, but you know, I love coffee. <laughs> so let me just go ahead and introduce our next um, next set of speakers and our next set of topics. So let me go ahead and share my screen. So ladies and gentlemen, here we are today. That's November 12. Today we're going to be having Michael Sito. We're so happy to have him here with us today. And he's going to be talking about the future of foreclosures. Now for next week, we're going to be having Mr. My Noel Christopher. Sorry about that. And he's going to be talking about why single-family rental investing is the right for small investors. Now, after November 19, that's November 26, it's Thanksgiving Day, and we're going to have a little break on that week. So we want you to be with your families, travel back home, you know, enjoy the week off. And we're going to be uh, coming back on December 3, and we're going to have on this show Mr. Jay Connor, and he's going to be talking about how to raise private money without asking for money. Now, this is going to be very useful, especially if you're expanding your real estate investing empire. And that's happening on December 3. And a week after that, we're going to be having Kent Kinzer, and he's going to be talking about living a tax-free lifestyle, leveraging self-directed IRAs, understanding the power of, of a Roth RIA. IRA, there you go. And we're going to have on December 17, Mr. Andrew Postel, and he's going to be talking about lending in a COVID world. And on December 24 and the 31st, obviously, these are also big holidays. We're going to be having breaks in those, and we're going to be back on January for another round of Hot Treads. If you're new to Zoom, this is an interactive show, nothing too formal, so we want you to write down your comments into the chat box. We'll also be writing some details and links there, and if you have questions, especially to our main speaker, just raise your hand, or better yet, write down your question at the Q&A button. And all throughout, we'll be asking a few questions, and you might want to participate in our poll. For feedback, comments, and suggestions, please email us at investorrelations at realestateiq.co. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, good afternoon, and welcome to Real Estate Investing Hot Trends, and thank you for being with us today. And this is our agenda for this afternoon. We have uh, the introduction and the current hot trends, and later on, I'll be showing you Steve's minutes presented by Steve Liang, the CEO of Real Estate IQ. And at 5.15, we're going to be having the micro-trends in real estate to be presented by the owner of Mad Logic, Mr. Jason Madden. And at 5.20, we're going to have our main speaker for today to talk about the future of foreclosures, Mr. Michael Sito. And the last 10 minutes will be dedicated for question and answer and online networking. So for those of you who are new to the show, who are we? Well, Real Estate IQ is a technology and data company focused on creating work from home automated systems for the real estate investment community. So for those of you who continue to work to search for your next big deal in real estate, we might just have what you are looking for. 
our vision. We all know that success in life is all about positioning and we want you to properly position, especially right now with the pandemic still, you know, ravaging the world. But right after this, we're going to be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and to stay on top of market trends so we can position ourselves to take full advantage and to nurture online networking and build strong relationships. Our mission, to empower your journey to freedom and success. Our company core values, integrity, the quality of being honest, being trustworthy, and having strong moral principles. Growth-oriented. You know, our company, our founders, and our employees are always thinking big. And as a matter of fact, for the past seven years, we've been in Texas, and now we're slowly going out of this state. We're now in Georgia and Florida, and we're going to be in Chicago and Utah soon. And the next few years are going to be exciting. We want to conquer all 50 states, and we hope that you're going to be part of that growth with us. And champion mindsets, we all know that champions harbor the ability to cope with setbacks and obstacles. They have a strong will to succeed. And these are the qualities we stand for. And these are our work from home automated systems. First, we have the deal analysis with unlimited comps. For those of you who are not familiar with this, this is actually you know, the deal that allows you to compare two properties of the same location, same size, same price, so that you can have the best you know, decision. Or one notch higher if you want to make your own deals. Well, the deal finding is for you with over 45,000 motivated seller leads. And up next, we have the premium, which allows you, you know, to have the phone numbers, skip trace emails. All you need to do is grab your phone and get to your next property. And our latest offering for this quarter, we have the CRM, you know, or the Customer Relationship Management. It is a set of software and programs that allows you to automate your investing business. And we have the staffing. If you're looking for people to be part of your expansion, you need to do cold calling or probably your virtual assistant. If you need to hire personnel for your real estate operations, well, we can help you. We can help you out with that. Real Estate IQ offers 10 times the growth. We are currently offering over 70 webinars per month and many of them are for free. So whether you're beginning, you're intermediate or you're an expert, we have a show, you know, I'm sure that you're gonna love. We have over four, you know, 2,500 RSVPs per month and we have 12,000 active members and 60,000 community members. And these are our di different teams in the, in, in the company. You know, when we began seven years ago, it was just a handful of people. But right now we have over 150 employees branching out to different departments. And, you know, more is going to be on the way as we move on to national expansion. So come and join us in the REIQ community free membership. All you need to do is register at www.realestateiq.co. And we're going to invite you, you know, this is a weekly show. So this is happening every Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. And, you know, we, the idea of this show is basically to help you with your real estate investing business. You know, we're not a master of all the topics. So every week we try our best to look for speakers who are experts in their, in their field and to be able to talk on the show for about 30 minutes, not too long, not too short either, just to give you an idea. And from there, you know, you can always seek out the speaker and connect with him, you know, do network or probably attend more of his comprehensive seminars and speaking engagements. And through there, you know, you can become a better investor.
And every Wednesdays as well at 5 p.m. CDT. If you love books and if you love to grow through books, then this show is for you, the Successful Habits Book Club. We have Mr. Brent Mott and Michael Jeftes, you know, amazing panelists. We dissect different books at different months. And currently, we're talking about a book by Napoleon Hill, a classic, Think and Grow Rich. So please can come and join us next Wednesday. And once a month, we have this show called Geeks and Nerds. It's all about real estate and technology and how that technology affects real estate. So the latest applications, the latest softwares, our chief technical officer, Mr. Joseph De La Cruz, can help you out. So come and join us in the Passive Investment Program. So stay on top of passive investment opportunities in the real estate IQ community. For program benefits, networking opportunities, and et cetera, just visit the site, realestateiq.co slash invest with us. So disclaimer, all information in the presentation is intended for educational purposes only. We do not offer investment, financial, or legal advice. So here we are with the current hot trends. In every crisis, there's an opportunity, according to a Chinese proverb. And for this week, we're going to be talking all about housing vacancies and home ownership. And this is very timely because some of you, you know, have been trying to get updated with this. So here we are. So this is our data that came out just two weeks ago, October 27, 2020. And this was sourced from U.S. Census Bureau. And the U.S. Census Bureau announced the following residential vacancies and home ownership statistics for the third quarter of the year 2020. So first, we have the rental vacancy rate is the percentage of all available units in a rental property, such as an apartment complex, that are vacant or unoccupied at a particular time. And the current rental vacancy rate is at 6.4%. The home owner vacancy rate is a proportion of homeowner inventory that is vacant for sale. And currently that's at 0.9%. And the home ownership rate is the percentage of US homes that are owner occupied. The rate is calculated by dividing the number of homes that are owner occupied, but the total number of occupied households, and that is currently at 67.4%. Next release is going to be on February 2, so we're going to be there when it's released. So here we are with our figure one chart. We're currently seeing a graph showing us the historical values of rental vacancy rate and home owners owner vacancy rate from 1997 to third quarter of 2020. The national vacancy rates in the third quarter of 2020 were at 6.4% for rental housing and 0.9% for homeowner housing. The rental vacancy rate of 6.4% was 0.4% points lower than the rate in the third quarter of last year in 2019, and 0.7 percentage points higher than the rate in the second quarter of 2020. The homeowner vacancy rate of 0.9% was 0.5 percentage points lower than the rate in the third quarter last year, and virtually unchanged from the rate in the second quarter of this year. And here we are with the asking rent. In the third quarter of 2020, the median asking rent for vacant for rent units was at $1,160. That's a long way from the price in 1997 when it was around $450. Can you imagine that? How time flies. 
And asking sales price in the third quarter of 2020, the median asking sales price for vacant for sale units was at 234,500. And the gray areas you see there in the middle of the graph, those are actually um, periods of recession. And we have the home ownership rate of 67.4%, and that was higher than the rate in the third quarter of 64.8%, and not statistically different from the rate in the second quarter of 2020, which was at 67.9%. So you see there the historical values you get to appreciate the ups and downs. And so far, you know, we're seeing a higher ownership rate during this time of the pandemic um, because who knows? Um, it's 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 pretty um, unclear what's going to happen in the next few months. So many people would prefer to have you know their own properties. So that's why we have a spike here of a home ownership rate, and we're going to continue to monitor that in the coming months. So, ladies and gentlemen, this time to talk about how to become a better investor, an entrepreneur, and a better person overall. Here's the co-founder and CEO of Real Estate IQ, Mr. Steve Liang. <laughs> Suffering is a strong word, a very heavy word. Uh, let's talk about suffering today. Now, I think in America, you know, we're such an optimistic society. Uh, sometimes when I uh, mention the word uh, suffering, or uh, I think struggling is a little more socially acceptable. But when I say the word uh, suffering, I remember two distinct, I distinctively remember two, two conversations with uh, two separate Uber drivers, and I was talking about, man, life is suffering, right? And uh, I think the um, reaction that I get or the response I get from them is always like, hey, man, don't think about it. You know, it's uh, um, uh, when you start thinking about suffering, it's going to make you feel bad. Uh, and while that is true, I completely agree. Uh, I also believe that suffering is not a bad thing. Suffering is actually necessary for our growth, um, and it is a training that helps us uh, uh, grow stronger. I think if, you, if we live a life without suffering, uh, without challenges, without pressure, uh, we're not going to grow. Uh, on the other hand, when you have a lot of suffering, a lot of challenges, a lot of pressure, uh, you tend to see uh, uh, people rising above that and they become a very uh, uh, successful person. So I think embrace that, you know, and I think it's also a mindset. Uh, if you think that you're suffering, oh, I'm suffering, I'm a victim, uh, then it's a very, very bad thing. You know, please don't go there. Uh, but it's about accepting that um, suffering is part of life because it's just a challenge to help us uh, become a stronger person. Uh, then we are uh, in a much stronger, more powerful position uh, that enables us to achieve. Because um, uh, if we uh, look at the Buddhist uh, doctrine, uh, Buddhist, Buddhism says that life is suffering. Your entire life is suffering. Um, and uh, I guess it's true if we, uh, if we think about, if we see life as suffering, it, uh, it is uh, a suffering um, uh, 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 but if we see suffering as a necessary part of 
growing and becoming a stronger person, then we understand that life is just a journey for us to uh, find more success uh, and, uh, and, and grow uh, as, a, as a spiritual person, as a spirit. Uh, and I thought that, uh, and I think that's a, a really good uh, analogy, you know, to talk about uh, suffering. There is a Chinese uh, phrase. It's a, it's a Chinese wisdom. I, I learned it when I was, uh, when I was very young. And um, as I am encountering a lot of challenges in life, I have uh, started to appreciate uh, that phrase more and more. Um, and I guess I'll share uh, uh, that phrase uh, in Chinese um, uh, here too. And it's called uh, And what it means is that if you can uh, take more and more suffering, more suffering than other people, then you become uh, a, a person that's above other people. <laughs> I guess if we uh, do it uh, as a transliteration. Uh, uh, let, me, let me try to uh, say again, if you can uh, take more suffering, if you endure more suffering than others, then you will rise above others. I think that's kind of the, that's kind of the, uh, the phrase. So, you know, don't be afraid of, don't uh, shy away from suffering, you know, embrace the suffering, you know, encourage the suffering, you know, take it in, you know, it's all part of uh, who we are uh, in our uh, human uh, experience in our, in our journey in life. And, um, and uh, the suffering is actually to me a very good thing. Thank you so much, Steve, for those words of wisdom. And this time, we're moving on to our next speaker. He's going to be talking about the microtrends in real estate. And here we go. He has over 10 years of creating business value through technology and software. The owner of MadLogic, a full-stack computer scientist, a scrum master. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Mr. Jason Madden. Hi, everyone. Uh, glad to be on again. Uh, so. This week, I uh, thought we would revisit San Antonio. Uh, we hadn't talked about last month through October. Uh, so that kind of brings us back for some new numbers and updated trends. So uh, this graph is actually generated using data from Zillow. It shows the total amount of inventory for the metropolitan area of San Antonio. So the red and the blue line represent previous years. 2019 is the red line, and you can see how the uh, there's a trend line that's straight that kind of gives you a better picture of how the the start of the year and the end of the year lined up. So um, this year, which is COVID related, the uh, the trend is going down. So the starting inventory for the year was about eleven thousand five hundred, and now we're currently seeing about thirteen thousand. So it's actually dropped by uh, a little bit. So uh, next slide, we are looking at the new listings broken down by the month. Uh, the blue is showing the previous year, 2019. Um, and just to note that this covers all of the MLS area that includes San Antonio. So it does have some additional counties that don't fall under the metropolitan area. So. Uh, overall, as the MLS for this area, it's down by about 40%. And last month, it 
was down approximately by uh, 40%. So uh, next though, we'll see the pending contract. So while they are lower, it's not quite as bad as the pending. Uh, overall in Texas, San Antonio is performing a little bit worse than the rest of the state. Uh, but overall sales for this year are down by around 40%. Uh, the median home price, so this shows the top four counties of volume uh, within the market. And you see the blue line is where San Antonio is. It has the most stable uh, sales, mostly because of the quantity. So the fluctuations in the other month that caused because of uh, just smaller data sets. So uh, it actually stayed pretty flat. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of increase, not much more than maybe about three and a half, four percent for the year. So. Um, let's see, is there any other slides? I can't remember. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Yep. So, uh, that kind of gives you the update for San Antonio. Um, again, uh, just this last Tuesday, I had a webinar kind of covering all of Texas all at once. I'm trying to get it scheduled towards the beginning of the month, uh, just so everyone can get the most updated info. And this is happening again in the second week of December. So, um, thanks again for having me on. Thank you so much, Jason, for that awesome report. All right. So this time, my dear friends, moving on to our main topic for today. It's all about the future of foreclosures. So get the latest updates from our speaker in the foreclosure market and as to where it is heading due to the economic impact of COVID-19. Our main speaker for today is the founder, owner, and broker of Cito Realty. Specializing in the DFW and Houston areas, he utilizes his 20 plus years of experience as an agent, broker, investor, business owner, and foreclosure specialist to ensure successful real estate business transactions with a focus on superb customer service. Capitalizing on his finance degree from the University of Oklahoma in 1997, he managed clients' multi-million dollar investment portfolios for five years at Smith Barney. During this time, his zeal for real estate was piqued by family investment opportunities, and through them, his two passions merged in a mission to advise clients in creating a profitable real estate model to ensure future wealth emerged. Driven by this mission, Michael ascended to the relocation director position for the Prudential Ultima Real Estate, and in 2010, he realized his dream of starting a successful brokerage firm, Cito Realty. With years of experience, numerous credentials, plus dedicated service to the industry, Michael is esteemed by both clients and professionals. In recognition as an industry leader, Michael received the prestigious 2019 Golden Eagle Award. So friends, ladies and gentlemen, without much ado, here's our main speaker, Mr. Michael Sito. Thanks for the intro, Arthur. Uh, I appreciate that. So uh, my my expertise is in the foreclosure side. I've been in the foreclosure side for quite a while. Uh, basically, I've been on different panels. I've moderated different panels. I've uh, seen a lot of uh, 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 economists on the uh, foreclosure side talk about the economics of where we're headed in terms of the foreclosures. Uh, now, in today's market, most investors and most realtors, brokers, they're all positioning for this huge, 
huge anticipated uh, influx of foreclosures next year, I, I believe, in the next couple of years. Uh, and through all the conversations that I've been talking to with all the experts out there, uh, I think a lot of people are going to see that the economic economics of that is going to fall a little short of their expectations. Uh, and there's several factors I'm going to talk to you guys about that's going to explain why uh, the foreclosure inventory is not going to be as much as we all have been thinking and anticipating and hoping for. Uh, factor number one is going to be really uh, through the last so many years, uh, we have seen record appreciation rates in the United States. Uh, I am in the DFW area, and I've seen this across the country, but in DFW area, uh, ever since uh, probably going back about the last eight years or so, uh, we've seen uh, appreciation rates of anywhere from 8% and up uh, going back year to year to year. So if you kind of start to think about it, most folks that might get foreclosed could have owned this property for more than five years. And if they owned it for more than five years, the compounding effect of depreciation has kind of given them so much distance between the loan amount and the actual value of the property. Uh, it's not going to go into foreclosure because they're going to sell it and take what they can get out of the property rather than lose it to the bank and all the equity in it. So I think that's one of the things that most people are not anticipating. You know, what are we going to do with all this? You know, we're going to save our money and buy these foreclosures. Uh, on the residential side, we think it's not gonna be as much as we think. Although we do think that there will be a spike next year. Uh, I've spoken to some of the folks on the HUD side. Uh, you know, a lot of those asset managers are basically saying once January come around, it's gonna start winding up. We're gonna see an influx of foreclosures. And, and yes, we will have a lot more foreclosures than. Uh, last year in in the February time, I don't see it in January. I see it coming probably late February, early March is where I see there's going to be a bump in the inventory, but it's not going to be like 08 where it's going to flood the market. Okay. Um, now, the reason why we're going to have a bump in the inventory is if you think about it, what have we been doing since the pandemic? We've been sitting where we cannot foreclose, right? Uh, because if we can't foreclose, all these different months of April, May, June, all the way to December, right? All these months and all these inventory that's sitting on the sideline ready to be foreclosed, they're going to throw that straight into the fryer and everything is going to try to get foreclosed at that point. So we're going to get a little bit of regurgitation of here's inventory. We're going to have a small blip on, on that side. Uh, now, after that, I think the next blip or increase of inventory is gonna be probably towards the summertime. And the reason why I'm saying that is due to uh, uh, forbearance. Uh, most folks have filed forbearance, started after the uh, uh, pandemic. And we're looking at April, May, June is when people started filing all their uh, forbearance with their mortgage company so they don't have to pay, right? And once you file the forbearance, you got 12 months to get your stuff straight and if you didn't then you're going to be in trouble and you're going to face the foreclosure uh, but if you're in trouble and you're facing the foreclosure and you have all this equity you're going to sell your property before the bank will take it okay uh, now in in terms of also 
I still anticipate that once we get into this process, the government's still going to figure out if there's a program that they can come out with to help some of these folks so they don't lose all their, so they don't all lose their homes. And some of these folks will be helped by whatever programs they might come out of, but I don't think they're going to be able to save everyone. So there will still be foreclosures, but it will be a lot less due to number one, possible government programs coming out. Uh, number two is going to be the appreciation factor. Uh, now, uh, I think that a lot of folks uh, are so focused on the residential side, they're not looking on the commercial side. Uh, we do feel like the area that's going to have the most foreclosures or, or the most impact and the best deals out there is going to be on the commercial side. Uh, so if you are an investor that has money sitting on a sideline, I really think that, you know, you guys should look into the commercial side of uh, the business. Um, we think that uh, things like senior housing is really took a big hit in income. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the retail properties have really taken a big hit. Uh, we've seen a lot of these retail owners are working with tenants to try to keep them in it, right? And eventually they're so over leveraged and they don't have enough cash flow to keep floating their mortgages or their loans to carry their, their uh, 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 debt they will eventually go into foreclosure also. So I think that there's a lot of opportunities there. Uh, I think in terms of the office buildings, office space, that's gonna be another hugely hit uh, sector. Uh, I think the office space, uh, if you can get yourself positioned, you know, there's gonna be some things to, to, to pick up here. Now, a lot of folks are thinking, well, you know, the retail is getting slammed right now. Offices are getting slammed. What am I going to do if I bought these properties, right? I, I think, you know, there is, uh, uh, investors all have a vision before they buy it. Uh, I'll give you an example. In terms of office buildings, I, I think uh, going a little further back, there was a bunch of empty office buildings in the Dallas downtown area. And a lot of those folks have bought it and they kind of repurposed it. Uh, so think of, uh, a possible way to repurpose certain buildings if you can't go into uh, that same space like offices. To me, uh, it makes perfect sense if you can find the correct office building that's going vacant uh, where you can pick it up on a foreclosure on a great deal, you repurpose it to something like a luxury condos or something, right? And make it into a residential type of a community uh, or it could be affordable housing. Uh, there's different types of concepts you can go with. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the retail space, all these restaurants are hurting. Um, honestly, I think if you're a restaurant owner, you're sitting on the sideline, you know, you can buy these buildings and own the building and have your restaurant. Eventually, people are going to start eating again, going out because, I, you know, I'm in Texas, so we don't like having to stay in all the time. We like to get out some if we can. Uh, and, and to a certain point when you've been cooped up for so long, you're just dying to bust out, to, to go back to normal, to go into restaurants. And, it, you know, these are the kind of positions that if you can acquire a foreclosure, which is a single family standing on its own, uh, where it's a restaurant that's known as a great um, location, right? I think that could uh, impact an investor in more ways than one. 
uh, position wise, because as soon as you buy it at a discount, then you, you're going to wait for the appreciation of the property. As the property appreciates, you're going to gain a lot of that appreciation going forward, but you already captured this acquisition at such a low price because due to the foreclosure. Uh, you, you're going to make that in, in, in the future down the line as the market recovers. And as we all know, Real estate is one of those things that's a tangible asset. And as a tangible asset, you can touch it, you can see it, you can see it appreciate. And over time, the volatility of a fluctuating market is going to get squeezed. As it gets squeezed, uh, you basically see that eventually over time, uh, you're not going to see that blip as high or as volatile as it is when you're 10 years down the line or five years or 20 years down the line, right? So uh, in this foreclosure market, I think that um, all of us are expecting big things, uh, but I, I think that a lot of folks are going to be disappointed when, uh, when the inventories are lower than expected. Uh, but I, I do think that uh, uh, there's going to be some short sales. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're an investor, um, I would start looking into a lot of these pre-foreclosure lists. Uh, in terms of these pre-foreclosure lists, a lot of times you might be able to hit off uh, straight to the client, the owner that's selling the property prior to the bank getting involved in terms of a possible foreclosure. If that's the case, you know, if there's still some equity there, the client or the owner rather sell, make $5,000 and lose everything, or they, they rather sell, make $10,000 rather than lose anything. And there could be a lot more equity than that. If you think about the, the types of appreciations that we've seen the last eight years, right? I mean, really, uh, I know Texas in general, Texas is a state that has been really aggressive in terms of bringing all these corporations to, uh, to, to, to this great state of Texas. And as these corporations come, the demand for housing keeps on going up, right? Uh, and, and if you think about it, all these uh, uh, buyers, a lot of them are coming from California. In terms of how much they can get for the same dollar that they're getting over there in California, it stretches a long ways in Texas. And they're getting a lot better properties, a lot bigger properties, a lot newer properties than they would in like San Francisco or something to that nature. And you're also seeing there's a higher demand in housing from all these folks that's moving here because their offices are saying, you can work from home. And in, in which, you know, they're downsizing on the office space. And all of a sudden, these, these owners of office buildings are facing um, um, possible foreclosure because everybody's downsizing or they're quitting their office space and, and leaving it. So uh, I see some, a lot more turbulence on the commercial side. Uh, I've spoke to many asset managers that's on the commercial side, and they're basically telling all of us that that's going to have a potential of listing these uh, foreclosures from the uh, commercial side. They're telling, they're telling us to buckle up next year. Uh, it's going to be a pretty fast ride. So we're, we're all gearing up. We're gearing staff so we can handle the volume that they might bring to us. Uh, but in terms of the residential side, uh, we geared up just a hair because we do see an increase in inventory, but it's not going to be the volumes that we're all hoping for. It's not going to be like 08. It's not going to be like 09. It's not going to be like 2010. Uh, does that kind of cover what some of y'all are kind of looking to 
to, to learn about the, uh, about the uh, foreclosure side of the real estate world? Author, you guys yeah. have any questions on that? Yes. Thank you so much, Michael, for the wonderful presentation. So this time, we're going to be entertaining your questions. I know that you have a lot, especially for those of you who have been around in the 2008 housing bubble. You know, some may see some similarities or differences. So, Eliza, would you like to do the honors of leading and facilitating in the question and answer portion? Hi, thank you, Arthur. Um, first, uh, I'd like to ask uh, Michael for a question. Uh, for example, um, it's, it's more on the negotiation side. Um, yeah. How much should you offer on a foreclosure, for example? It, to me, it depends. Um, that's not the answer most people are looking for. Uh, back in the old days, there's more of a formula. Uh, back in the old days, we kind of, when we can negotiate with foreclosures, uh, we would offer about 10 to 13% under list price, right? But now the foreclosure is a lot more competitive with the retail market. It's slightly under market, but it's, it's, it's not the deals that we used to see, right? So a, a lot of times, um, I would in a position, if I'm in a position to help an investor, uh, I would watch properties. Uh, you know, I would stick to a specific discipline of, uh, what the comps are on the property and where I want to buy in it. And ju just like any investor, whether they're, they're buying a foreclosure or any type of, um, an investment property, they have to stick with that discipline, right? Uh, a lot of folks are buying it. 80 cents on a dollar minus repairs. So if you are an investor and you've done your numbers and you know that this property is worth $100,000 after repairs and you see absolutely zero repairs that's needed, right? You, you, your offer would be $80,000. So in this situation, you still got to stick with your discipline. Uh, now to win these properties, uh, sometimes you're competing with a lot of owner occupants. I'll give you an example. Uh, HUD homes, they favor the owner occupant first, right? Uh, HUD homes, a lot of times, uh, they give 10 days to an owner occupant to bid on it before an investor could. So if you think about those, a owner occupant will pay a higher dollar value than an investor would, right? So it, it, it's a lot more difficult now than it, it used to be. Now, the thing that I would watch for if I was an investor is, watch for things coming back on the market. And also if you're bidding on, on property, like, properties like HUD homes, I would put yourself into a backup position uh, because in terms of HUD homes, I've seen, I've seen about 30% of these HUD homes when it's awarded to an owner occupant, they fall apart. So if you're a backup position, that means you're a lower price than the owner occupant already. Uh, I've seen that happen so many times that um, as an owner occupant, they didn't know how to do the paperwork. Their agent didn't know how to do the paperwork. They don't turn it in in time or they just had cold feet and they emailed the asset management firm and said, we do not want this property anymore. So once they said they don't want it no more, then it goes to the next person who's in line on, on the bids. And if, you, if you're the next person in line, and you checked on that box or in the bid process that you want to be a backup, 
Well, you don't have to compete with, you know, everybody on the open market anymore. It is yours if you're the next highest bid and your next highest bid could be $10,000 apart or it could be $5,000 apart. And that's where you kind of gain a little bit more of your margin and might be able to stick to your uh, principles of I need to buy it 80 cents on a dollar or 85 cents on a dollar or whatever it might be. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's answered. Thank you very much for that, Mike. Um, we we have another question here. Um, overall for the year, Texas no, total number of listings is down by around 15%. Does he think that when we recover that we might see a big increase of inventory on top of the foreclosure? Uh, as I kind of told you guys earlier, uh, you know, I think that's the expectation of all investors and buyers and realtors alike. Everybody is anticipating this huge inventory spike uh, next year. Uh, I'm not anticipating a big spike. I, I, I do anticipate that our inventory for this year, especially in the uh, probably I'm anticipating in the February or in March sometime is when we see an influx of inventory. But that influx of inventory is going to be much more foreclosures compared to the previous few years of March, right? Uh, so if you're talking about just that March, yeah, it's going to be more than 15% of what it used to be because you have all these months that have compounded all these foreclosures, they're waiting to get in. Uh, but as an overall process, uh, let's say throughout the year, I don't think so. I, I think we're going to have a very, very slight increase, but it's not going to be that much of an increase. Thank you for that. Um, also, when it comes to bidding, um, what is your strategy um, to get that bid? Because sometimes uh, the problem when it comes to foreclosures is that uh, most especially when the deal is very good, um, a lot of person uh, give interest, give offers to, for example, the bank. Um, what's your strategy or tip that you can share um, to get that um, the property that you want with a good deal? Well, I, I think is the, the first thing is have great relationships. Um, it, to me, uh, the REL world is a, there's a circle of people. People know everybody else in their circle of REL contacts. So I know most REL brokers and agents here in the Dallas area. I, I know most of them across the country too. Uh, a lot of times having that relationship, uh, you might be able to kind of, uh, uh know what the asset management firm expects. Let's say if it's an asset management firm from Kronos, right? And if you are not an agent that's under Kronos and you know somebody else who who knows Kronos, I, you know, then you pick up the phone and you call some of the agents you know who works with Kronos. See what are what are the typical trends that they have in terms of what offers they're looking for and things. I think another thing is a lot of people when they put in offers it's even numbers, uh, like for example, $120,000 or $250,000. Uh, I would say, don't make it such an even number. Uh, you can say $250,121. So it, it comes down to where they're gonna look at what net number they're gonna 
get, you know, uh, if you have that extra $121, rather you beat the other offer by $1 or $5,000, you still beat the other bid, right? So I would say, don't use flat, even numbers. Uh, I, I think you use a specific number that's, uh, 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 very unique to this specific bit. So, yeah, thank you for that. So, um, it's a good, um, advice though. Um, what is the downside of buying a foreclosed property for you? Well, I think the downside is most people don't understand the paperwork. And, you know, most people, uh, uh, if you read all the paperwork for REO property, uh, the banks typically have verbiage protecting the banks. They're not really protecting the buyer as much, right? Uh, there's penalties there for you, the buyer, if you don't close on time and different things, but not, not, not really for the bank. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the difficulties are understanding each different asset management firm's process. Some folks, you have to bid online, right? Some folks, you have to send in a contract, and then it goes through an REO maestro or something too di different in terms of uh, different types of software out there. And as it comes out, you know, uh, an agent that's not familiar with those may have messed something up or whatever. But if you don't know the process, make sure you find out what the process is. I mean, you know, we're, we're out there to help you because we as listing brokers for REO, we want to sell the property as much as you want to help your buyer uh, uh, buy the property because if it doesn't sell it, it, because of paperwork, that's just a glitch, right? And then we may have to start all over again. You know, the faster we help close the deal, the faster everybody gets paid. So, uh, you know, don't be timid to not call us call us and ask us, you know, how we can help you if you don't know the process. I mean, we're, we're, we're trained to help another agent or an investor kind of walk through the transaction. Thank you for that. Um, just a reminder, please be sure to type in your questions to Michael Cito uh, in the chat box or in the Q&A icon in your control panel. So Arthur, do you have any questions in mind? Um, right now, I have none, but we're going to ask for Michael Cito's contact details, email, or phone number on how to reach you, because some of these folks may want to, you know, either avail of your services or might have a question right after this and might sure. want to, you know, get in touch with you for your expertise. Sure. Uh, you want me to type it in the chat or you want me to just tell you? Yeah, I can type it for you. Uh, I can type it. Here, all right. Uh, all right. I mean, it's, uh, I'll even tell you. My email is dfwnewhomes at gmail.com. My cell phone is 214-228-2281. So they're, they're both really simple to remember. Um, but in terms of, you know, uh, default uh, space, uh, definitely feel free to call me. I am on a national default committee that's talking about default uh, each and every year about what's going on in this uh, in this area or space in, in real estate. Uh, I think a lot of folks may not know, but, you know, there's a major, major conference about default that's in Dallas all the time, and it's called the Five Star Conference, and they are uh, here locally in Dallas. Um, you know, another great conference is REO Mac. These are two of the bigger uh, 
uh, default space conferences, talking about REOs, foreclosures. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're talking about hedge funds and different things too. So it's, it's very, very much like an alternative type of investment, uh, you know, uh, looking into something that's in uh, default. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Well, last call, do you have any other questions? All right. So you already have the contact details of Michael. And we'd like to take this opportunity to thank Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us here today. We'll definitely have you back next year. Once, um, you know, uh, probably in the second quarter or third quarter to get an update about foreclosures. So if there are no more questions, thank you so much for being with us today. And we look forward to having you again next week. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Jason. And we'll see you all next week for another episode of Real Estate Investing Hot Trends. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.